Welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Chris Brown. For more information on our church, visit c3church.narara.net. Well, let's, I'm going to read a passage of scripture and then we're going to pray over it and see what we can learn and apply to our lives. Thanks, guys. Luke 19, verses 1 to 10, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. This is the story of Zacchaeus. It says, Jesus, and it may come up on the screen, you can look at it with me and then we'll pray. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man named Zacchaeus there. He was the chief tax collector in the region and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And and if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Father God, we thank you for this wonderful story and reality of what happened in that man's life so long ago, and we pray that you'd help us to also uh, consider what you have to say uh, through this passage and uh, and to feel your heart to seek and save the lost. We thank you for your heart that we have all been lost, Lord God, at some point, and that you have come, Lord Jesus, seeking us out and wanting us to be saved. We thank you for that. Help us uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, have a seat. God bless you. What a great passage and great story. There's two hearts here, the heart of God for lost people and the heart of someone who's open and humble and ready to hear the saving message of Jesus. And we end up with a, a conversation that brings the two people together. And it's Jesus that makes the conversation. And we've been talking about this uh, phrase, make the conversation. In other words, being intentional about our communication. Because you're going to communicate to a whole bunch of people, whether you like it or not. But sometimes it's not on your terms. Sometimes you say things you regret. Sometimes you wish you'd said something that you didn't. And so if we're on the front foot and we're in tune with God's leading and the Holy Spirit's anointing on our lives, then we can do the more than just react. We can actually respond to real situations, real people, and bring something from God to that situation. We can make the conversation the way God wants to make it, make it happen. And so we've talked about conversing and connecting with the Lord. This is our reaching up to worship God part of our mission statement. And we want to make this conversation and connection strong in our devotion to God. Actually, we'll do a series starting next week on living from the inside out, and we'll talk about that beautiful connection that's available for us to walk with the Lord and and uh, 
and tune in to how God can move in our hearts and then it flows out into our life as a result. We've talked about um, making the conversation with each other and, uh, and the fellowship and the discipleship that God wants us to follow as his disciples. We, we have other people that helps us, help us follow the Lord. We don't uh, live in isolation. The Bible warns us about being isolated. So we're called to be part of the body, to be part of the family of God. And last week, what a fantastic opportunity. We heard from uh, the head deacon, uh, Richard and Jenny Tooley, uh, from our mother church. And if you weren't here, you can get the um, podcast and listen to that interview. And he shared about the, the joys of serving in a practical way in the house of God. And we prayed for some new uh, deacons as well. Uh, and because it's not just talking... When we say make the conversation, it's like a, a relationship's more than just talk. It's walking and working along with people and, and uh, as part of life. And then, of course, we want to talk about making the conversation happen with people in our community. Reaching out, because our mission statement's reaching up to worship the Lord and reaching in to each other, but also reaching out. And as I mentioned earlier about missions, we're reaching out globally, but we also want to reach out locally, not just corporately with a plan and a program, but individually, personally, in our own lifestyle, as soul winners, as witnesses for Jesus, and for people to hear the gospel. And so this, let's face it, this is the Great Commission. I mean, Keith Garner spoke at a pastor's meeting uh, just during the week down at Pastor Phil's church, and uh, he's the head of Wesley Mission, and he said, uh, if we're not involved in the Great Commission, then what are we doing as Christians? We are not just a club. We're not a little insular close the doors, make our gardens nice, got the coffee machine on, nice music, lovely service, got the air, appreciate the air conditioning, lovely, good, nice, kids all under control, don't you love it, don't have your kids for a while, bring them along, free babysitting, woohoo, go home. Well, that's just nice, but church isn't just what happens here, is it? This is not just the Christian life. This is part of it, but it's to help us with our whole life and our lifestyle, being on the front foot for the Lord, reaching to the world, reaching out to people and helping them to discover what we've discovered in Jesus. And so that's why he said, go. The Great Commission is not to stay, but to go, to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to witness to people and uh, invite people, calling people to consider for themselves who Jesus is. And, uh, and that's what Jesus is doing here. He's making the conversation. He's making the effort. Of course, he didn't have to. He, I don't know if you realise, he had a fair bit on. Um, in fact, he wasn't even staying in Jericho. Excuse me. It's not funny anymore, but in the old days, in our warehouse in the middle of summer before we had air conditioning and in the school halls that we've been in, it was always fun to just drink lovely cold water and see everyone sweating and fluffing with their little paper, with the newsletters. Remember newsletters? Remember those things? <sighs> and you'd go, mmm, that water. But now you're not hot. I think we should just turn the air conditioning off, make you sweat in the prison. Are you too cold? Who's too cold? Eleanor. Right. Okay. Cuddle your husband. Everyone else, let's carry on. Okay. You need to do what your mother does. Bring about four blankets. There's blankets all over my life. There's blankets. She, there it is, right? She's, she's got blankets in the car. She's got blankets on the lounge. In summer, we'll be watching television. You look over and then I think Ruth's there. 
It's a sort of collection. It's not that cold, but I oh know underneath all those rugs, there she is, watching TV. You know. And, um. Anyway, back to the Bible. Jesus is making the conversation because he's got a heart that allows himself to be interrupted, a lifestyle that is open for people to come in against the grain. He's, if you read earlier, you'll see just a few verses before that he actually gathered the 12 disciples and said, this is what's going to happen to the Son of Man. And he's aware because of who he is and the plan that he's about to follow of what's going to happen. And he talks about being mocked and spat on and flogged and eventually killed, and that's all before him. He's on his way to Jerusalem. Some would say he probably loved every distraction along the way, but he, he, he had his calling, his focus, and yet you see his heart, and it's not the only time, right through the Gospels, you'll see him being interrupted by people, but not, by, not being put out by it, but welcoming the interruption, because the interruption is only brought to him by people and he loves people and you see his heart for people and we can learn from that can't we particularly our uh, the you know the type a focused task oriented people amongst us you know that we just realize hang on all these things that i'm bumping into oh that's right they're people <laughs> god loves them they're not just units of usefulness in my life to get me to the next place <laughs> they're precious souls and you know what I'm saying. God's heart is for people. And Jesus moved with compassion would allow these interruptions. And so here's one. And, um, and, uh, and so that's the heart of God. And then on the other side, you've got this guy Zacchaeus. And, well, we know he's a tax collector, which tells us a couple of things at least. Firstly, that he's despised by his compatriots. The Jewish people really hated the tax collectors. Because although he's a so-called son of Abraham, he's, um, he's allowed himself to be corrupted by greed and uh, he's sold himself out to the oppressive Roman regime, collecting taxes uh, on their behalf uh, and therefore seen as a traitor to his countrymen. Uh, he's also wealthy, which we would figure because of his position, even if we weren't told, but the passage tells us, Luke records, that yes, he was very wealthy um, because as the tax collectors hit up the locals for the taxes, they were allowed to just glean their own from skimming off the top, uh, taking a generous cut for themselves along the way. Um, and uh, and in, even Zacchaeus himself refers uh, to that because he says, oh, if I've cheated people, and I think it's not so much if, but that he had, uh, cheated people along the way in his collection of taxes. And he's taught, he, we're told here that he's the chief tax collector in the area. So he's particularly rich and particularly influential as a result. So he's very well off, but he's unsettled. He's, what do they say? Money doesn't make you happy. I think he's discovered that. He's realising that there's more to life than whatever his wealth can bring him. And that's why he's looking for Jesus. Now, someone's obviously told him about Jesus, and he's interested. He's responding. And, uh, you know, we, we can't see in this passage, but we can kind of guess because of human history and anecdotal evidence in our own lives that someone's probably been praying for him, that he's a long way from God's plan for his life because of the career path that he's taken. But 
God's hands on him, and I'm guessing, I'm guessing his mum. But let's just go with mum because a good prayerful Jewish woman at the time would be uh, praying for her son. And as I said, we don't know for sure, but you can take a pretty confident guess that someone's prayed for him because there's a divine connection that's about to happen here that is often a result of prayers. When people are born again, there's always a prayer backstory. And that should stir us in our prayers. There's always going to be an answer to prayer. And we might see something happen in the physical, but there's been a lot of spiritual work and plowing of the soil and, you know, contending and crying out in prayer uh, for that to eventuate. And so he, yeah, he may have been raised to be a good godly Jewish boy, but the mother's probably thinking, well, look how he's turned out. And instead of just throwing her hands in despair, she's throwing her hands out in faith and praying for him. That's my guess anyway. Uh, But as I said, we should always be stirred to pray for our loved ones, our family and our friends and people who may be far from God right now, but look because of guys like Zacchaeus, what can happen and how quickly can things can turn around. So something's stirring in his heart. He's desperate to see Jesus because look what he does. He embarrasses himself, rich and powerful, and yet he climbs a tree. He's a little dude, and so rather than just giving up, he's, some, he's, you know, he's keen. And so he climbs the tree, and that, I really believe, shows his hunger for God. And he's, he's humble enough to be humiliated, to be a grown man climbing a tree. Um, and, of course, you've got uh, the heart of Jesus, as I said. He sees Zacchaeus, and, and he immediately calls to him, reaches out to him. Uh, now, of course, people don't like that. They're shocked. They uh, grumble as, in, as they did in other places you read about in the Gospels that Jesus would, would go near such a man, let alone invite himself over for lunch. And uh, they figure that if he's a religious teacher and a, 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 a pious person, then Jesus shouldn't have anything to do with this sinner. But praise God, he doesn't allow himself to get put in our boxes and that Jesus... Loves everyone, as I said, and he does what's right, not just what others expect him to do or, or pressure him to do. And so he, he leads with love. He sees through the eyes of grace and he, he sees everybody as precious and, and, and loved by God and deserving to hear the good news. And notice that he says, I must stay at your house. So there's a real sense of import and urgency in this reaching out. He's not being kind of casual about it. Jesus is committed in his outreach. And I think uh, we can learn from that as well, that you know, when we share God's heart, when we feel God's heart, I should say, uh, to share with people, you know, we don't want to be driven. We don't want to be aggressive. We don't want to be stressed about it. But at the same time, we, we shouldn't be you know, backward about coming forward. The Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. We should be bold in our witness. We should sense this urgency and importance that God senses for people to hear about Jesus and what he's done and what he wants to do in their lives. And, 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 and so we've we got to watch that, you know, I think I heard someone say the problem with friendship evangelism, friendship evangelism is catch cry that's been used for quite a while, you know, don't get up on a soapbox and Bible bash people. Let's do friendship evangelism. 
and and the problem I noticed someone say after a while is uh, there's a lot of friends but not much evangelism, you know. And so we're not just called to be nice people and to be that Christian person who someone knows and doesn't really know much about, but to really look for opportunities and, of course, sensitively find the right time and place, but to, with that opportunity, take the opportunity, make the conversation, take the initiative, yeah? And not just, as I said, be that Christian person. Oh, yeah, I know a Christian, yeah, and that's all they know about you. But what does that mean? Do they know what you stand for, what you believe, what Jesus has done for you, what he wants to do in their life? Have they heard? Have they been invited? Have they been uh, given something to consider, a, a, a tract or a, 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 a video or a website or an app or some personal connection? Have you said, can I have a coffee and we're not just catching up, but can I, you know, I, I think there's a, a compelling in God's heart that we want to keep touching and reaching in our heart. And I speak to myself as much as anyone because I know it's easy to just hang out with people and not go there. Uh, but I'm always surprised, and I had a talk this week, one of the motorbike guys, uh, how open people are to find out. Uh, and this guy lives in Sydney, not far from our mother church in Oxford Falls. So he knew of the church, and I you know, use that connection, talk about our church and what I do and all that. And, uh, and he wasn't at all dismissive or disdainful and, uh, and it's quite encouraging and to, you know, tell people the good news because it's good news. It's not bad news, right? And there's enough bad news out there. This is the best news. Uh, and so Jesus, of course, is not afraid to talk about himself and, and what he's going to do for people and so he just... He reaches out with compassion and through his love and his grace and his reaching out and his making the conversation. Look at Zacchaeus. He, he repents. And look, he changes like, bam, there. He shows the change of heart by announcing his actions. And this is, you know, repentance proven by fruit that he's going to repay the people he's ripped off. He's going to give away half his wealth to the poor. Now, that's a big deal. That's not easy. Uh... In fact, if you read just the chapter earlier, you've got an interaction between Jesus and a rich young ruler. And when Jesus sees the thing that's got a hold on this young guy is his money. Remember, Jesus said, you need to sell everything you got. And now, of course, Jesus doesn't call all rich people to give everything away. He could see that for that guy, there was a real hold on his heart, the wealth that he had. And it says he went away very sad. Which is not the end of the world because, let's face it, if he went away dismissive of the situation, maybe nothing would have touched his heart. He went away sad because he was thinking what, of what Jesus had said. Didn't say he obeyed straight away like Zacchaeus. But some people say, we don't know firmly from scriptures, but some people say that that may have been um, uh, uh, Barnabas uh, or perhaps even Saul who became Paul. Uh, so we, we don't know, but it's, it's not the end of the story. It's just one of those seed-sowing situations. But here we see the harvest. Here's Zacchaeus. He repents. And Jesus has this wonderful declaration of salvation. And that declaration is a declaration of God's grace, isn't it? That no one is beyond God's saving love. That even someone like Zacchaeus, despised and sinful, a cheating sinful, crooked, living kind of guy that he was could be loved and saved because God's 
so merciful. And that is, that is awesome. And it's not just awesome for him, but for other people, for his family, people that he had influence over, certainly the people that were going to be the recipients of the money he was going to give, and the people that he had ripped off who were going to be repaid. And there's a wonderful flow-on effect. Have you ever noticed that? And I guess you have. If you've given your life to Christ yourself, or even in coming to Christ, you may be aware of the flow-on effect. You may have been somewhere down the chain of someone else who had given their life to Christ. Or maybe you were the first person in your peer group or your family, but then you see others. I mean, i got a mate that we're still connecting with and following the Lord with, and he became a Christian just because I dragged him along because I was too shy to go to the youth group by myself. And, and that was my witnessing program. Nick, I've got to go to this youth club thing. It sounds fun and I'm a Christian and I'm supposed to go and I want to go. Come, you're coming too. And what is it? I don't know, just do as you're told. Uh, and you know, I was just dragging him along. He goes, oh, okay, and he hears the gospel and gets saved. It's like, tick, there you go. What a great evangelist I am, you know. And, uh, you know, so, um, but there is a wonderful flow on when one, just one person comes to Christ and then in their family or their friends or the next generation, I saw this so illustrated um, again when I was in Vietnam. I met a pastor there, uh, Pastor Nam, uh, and he shared his story with me. Uh, he was born in 1974 uh, and at the same time he was born, his father had someone come and tell him about Jesus. And the father responded, became a Christian, and his wife became a believer as well. And so they started to raise their kids in, uh, in the Lord and follow Jesus. But the very next year after this guy was born, 1975, is when the North Vietnamese won the war, invaded. And, um, and so they were obviously, you know, the communist government came and, and brought heavy persecution with them to the believers in the South. So he then grew up as a persecuted Christian, and he was bullied at school. And I don't mean when a kid pokes you with their finger and says one rude word that you have an entire program in the school on how to cope with bullying. Um, I mean, he was beaten, uh, and uh, he remembers the beatings, and yet he remembered thinking, I'm going to follow Jesus. This is right, and you can't stop me. And he remembers the meetings, secret meetings at different locations at night, Christians gathering, churches trying to meet in all kinds of places. He remembers police with guns coming in and taking the pastors away. And he says he still knew it was right. And he remembers people backsliding. He remembers his parents saying, oh, no, they're no longer following the Lord because it's just too hard. And the pressure and the, you know, from to, to conform to the, communist ideology and stopped standing up for Jesus but his family held on to their faith and he knew that he would follow Jesus no matter what the cost and he shared this as he grew up and then uh, and then he said how he met some charismatic and Pentecostal Christians and he thought these guys aren't just following the Lord they're happy (laughs) and he thought there's something really going on here because nobody's happy he said they were very poor uh, and uh, with all the turmoil after the war, the, the northern Vietnamese despised many of the southern Vietnamese because they'd been in you know, cohorts with the American and other allies like Australians against the commies. And so he said uh, when he met these charismatic Christians, 
He thought, this is, there's something really happening here. So he heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, received it on his own. And he said, he remember praying in tongues for what felt like 10 minutes and realized hours had gone by. And so maybe you've had that experience, particularly when you're first, you know, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. And then about 10 years ago, God led him to plant his own church and become a pastor for the people in his area. People who were becoming born again, others who were looking on and interested. Um, and so this influence is carrying on from someone sharing with his parents to him being raised in the Lord. And now he's raising his children. And not just that, reaching out into his neighborhood. And he took me to one of, if not the most heart-wrenching places I've ever been to in my life. An orphanage that he visits on a regular basis. And... Um, these kids had left there because the parents can't cope and they're born with defects from Agent Orange. And I don't know if you've ever... The, it, it, the photographs are just unbelievable. Um, but he goes and he loves them. and They've got terrible, terrible deformities like you can't imagine. And he just shares with them. And, the, and you see the love of Jesus in him and you think this is the work of God. This is not what people naturally do. There is a God because he's working through this person. You know, you just feel the love of God. And I'm walking around with him and he's led the director of this place with hundreds of kids and they've got hundreds of stuff. He's led the director to the Lord. But they've got to keep it a secret or they'd lose their job. And so, uh, you know, this is a beautiful ministry. And he's still... You know, and he's happily preaching, and he in turn now is still getting persecuted. He's got the police coming to his church services trying to stop them. He said just the week before I was there, he had to stand at the door and say, Stop, in Jesus' name, I will talk to you after church. And they went, All right. And he had 10 police all out the front waiting. And they had church. Everyone's kind of looking over their shoulder, worshipping the Lord. But they got through church. And then he went and talked to them. And he says, I'm reasonable. I just explain. They're always hearing. And then just the few days after I left, because I visited him in his home, he sent me a photo. And people had graffitied all over the front of his house and throwing stuff in and trying to. And so there's, there's serious persecution against uh, these people. But he's still happily following the Lord and serving the Lord. And so there's a joy in amongst it. Uh, in amongst the persecution. Uh, and I think that's just wonderful, seeing that flow on, that legacy that gets built when just one person comes to the Lord. And I believe that would have happened here for Zacchaeus because he is influential and he's happily, quickly accepting Jesus. And um, I love the fact that he didn't just dismiss with some condescending rich guy talk. Oh, that's nice, Jesus. Here's a donation for your cause. You know, No, no, he, he really changed, didn't he? Uh, and so uh, he, and of course, he's made his he's, he's fulfilling uh, who he was really called to be, a son of Abraham, as Jesus says. And of course, the question for each of us is to, you know, we've got to ask: Has Jesus come into my house or into my heart? And and have and and would I respond that way? And am I responding the way this guy did? Um, and if that's you here today, you can respond. And I will pray with you at the end of the service, a prayer where just like Zacchaeus, you can respond to God's love and God's grace and your life can turn around. And you don't have to give away all your money, but you can just have your life totally challenged and changed by Jesus. Do you know, let me finish. 
with a couple of thoughts. Um, you know, Jesus said on the Sermon of the Mount, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see the Lord. And um, that's a great promise, isn't it? And you sort of think, well, God, how pure is my heart? I, I want to see you. And I love the idea of being blessed. Well, I believe each one of us can just have an honest, open, humble heart that gets purified before God. And, uh, and you know, for the Jewish people, names were very significant. Uh, when a parent named their child, they were proclaiming something that they wanted to see fulfilled in their life. The names were meaningful. They represented something. You know what the name Zacchaeus means? It means pure. And I believe if that was his mum that had been praying all those years, perhaps she was there in the household saying, wow, finally all my prayers have been answered and the name that I gave this, guy, this kid, uh, maybe she had moved on because for him to be the chief, you know, he would have been getting on in age a little. But it's a, um, it's a beautiful thought to think that this guy was finally living up to his name with a pure, repentant, humble heart and seeing the salvation of God come into his life. And, of course, a few years later, Zacchaeus dies. You don't read that in the Scriptures, but I'm just making an educated guess, uh, a little assumption given human life and history, that he would have died. might have been three years later, might have been 30 years later, but let's, <laughs> let's agree that he would have died. And on that day, do you know what? The money that he had meant nothing. But what did mean something was the fact that he could see God. And the events of this day, the day that he climbed the sycamore tree, the day that Jesus came into his house and into his heart, that day meant something because that was the day that he started to see God and he could see God forever. And that is the day that we need in our lives. And maybe you've already had that day, that day you've come to know Jesus. Well, then let's think of the Zacchaeuses in our life in our world, in our sphere of influence, people who haven't yet made that decision. But let's think and act and live as Jesus would, reaching out to them, looking to make that conversation. And because even if someone like this guy apparently is so far from God, living against God, living not what people thought would be the right way to go, look how quickly things can change when someone gets a revelation in their heart of their need for God. And Jesus is, of course, sending us as ambassadors, the Bible says. And we're not going out into the streets of Jericho and Jerusalem, but we are in Narara and Niagara Park and Tascot and Berkeleyvale and the Central Coast and Sydney if you work there and Perth if you go there. And wherever we go, we are bringing Jesus, yeah? And I pray that we would have his heart for the lost and that we would, like him, seek those people out and see the sick brought to him for healing and see those that are lost saved and and bring the light of God to shine in the dark recesses of hearts who are waiting to hear from someone who knows Jesus and waiting to respond to an invitation and our prayers will undergird our witness along that way. And that's our prayer, that we would continue reaching out. That's part of this, this month we've been talking about our vision. And this is one of the key parts of our vision, that as individuals, as I said, not just programs and plans that we organise, but just as part of our lifestyle, we will be on the front foot with our witness, yeah? And, uh, and looking to share our faith. Yeah.
hope you have enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.